Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud Ron Floor. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast and the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron? Oh, man, man, uh, just... Uh... Just uh, happy to be here. Beautiful day here in the Smokies and enjoying it. A little warm. Uh, they say it's going to hit 98 today. That's about 10 degrees at least, higher than what normally is. So <laughs> that's a little warm out there, but uh, still beautiful, man. Yeah, I know why that is, because you're you're higher up, so you're closer to the sun. I yeah, that's it. it. <laughs> that's probably it, man. Yeah, yeah I, that is for sure. I am definitely a little higher up. All right, you, I know you have a great view, but you're not where you're gonna be eventually because I know you're uh, you, you're you're making plans to uh, move to a, another home. But what kind of view do you have while you're doing the studcast? What's that like? Oh man, it's beautiful. I'm looking out the back window at a nice little stream. Got one on each side of the place here, and a stream on each side. So it's really beautiful, man. A little waterfall in it. You can hear it at night. So. It's a it's a pretty nice uh, pretty nice place to live up here, man. Uh, first time I've ever lived this this far into the mountains, so it's been a, kind of a new experience for me. That's awesome. My view is the woods. I just saw a squirrel cracking its nuts. So it's a it's a beautiful afternoon here in southeast Alabama. We're and listen, we're not as hot, but the humidity is just driving us crazy here. So anyway, so hopefully you'll cool down. Uh, they're in the in the mountains in in God's country. Maybe God will back off on that. All right, hey, let me remind everybody to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell, get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. As long as you ring the bell, Ron will ring your bell, and you'll be notified. And you'll have you'll have the inside information on everything. Be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right, we've had some exciting news lately. You've got a big announcement about Southeastern Rewind. You probably want to do the honors on this. Why not? Yes, I, I definitely do. Uh, thanks, Dave. And, uh, you know, I've been to saying that we're going to start getting these TV shows on, and we're about to put the first one on. And uh, this one is a Southeastern show from 1978 in its entirety which is very, very rare to find one of these. And it is going to go up on this Friday, uh, on July 30th. And uh, just uh, invite everybody to, to get on there and take a look at what Southeastern Wrestling was all about. Uh, this is with the uh, original set. It's old less and uh, the, all of the technical things that we were doing that uh, very few other places were doing. Uh, you're going to be able to see everything that I've been talking about with Southeastern's television show and each one of these studcasts. And uh, I sure invite you, those that have not subscribed, to jump on there, subscribe at YouTube, Southeastern Rewind, and ring that bell. And uh, on Friday, you're going to be able to see your first TV show that uh, I produced and my company produced. And uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of those in the next couple of years. Eventually, I think we'll have as many as 300 of them on our YouTube channel here. So this is the first one, and I invite everybody to jump on and take a look at that one. Uh, 
and uh, and uh, I think you're going to find out that uh, it's uh, for its day and time. We were probably ahead of most everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt. And listen, that's a big deal. And and so Friday. But what is there any significance with this particular show that you're releasing on Friday? Does it kick off a series or is this one's random? How, how what, what's it like? This is a random one because there's very little southeastern Knoxville out there anywhere. And uh, it's very rare to find anything that's a full entire show on southeastern Knoxville. This one is from 1978. It has Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson on it. Uh, Ron Wright is managing at this point. He manages that team. Uh, It's got a lot of stars in it and recognizable people Mm -hmm. that uh, fans are, are probably going to go, wow, I didn't know all these people were working in there at this time. So uh, it's a rare one. uh, And uh, I don't think we'll have too many of these from Knoxville. We may come across some more whenever we do, we will be putting them on, but this one will be on come Friday the 30th. Yeah, that's cool. And so that's cool to see what was happening in Knoxville on that date in history. But one of the things we've been talking about is how when eventually you're going to have this thing set up so that full storylines will unfold week after week as you release these on the YouTube channel. That's correct. And uh, that's going to start with USA Wrestling, which is a production uh, with Gordon Soley as the commentator that I did in 1988. There'll be 25 of those shows. They will all be in order. So, uh, yeah, we're going to. This is just a beginning, a little taste for everybody. And I'm hoping within the next two weeks, we'll be starting to run the USA shows. We'll be starting to load them up. So uh, it's going to get more exciting every week. We'll probably put at least one show a week up, a new one, and then maybe as many as two. And uh, we'll follow uh, USA with Continental. And uh, then we'll go back and pick up the early years of Southeastern in Pensacola. So that's awesome. Yeah. A, that's the plan. And, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody will be patient with us. It's going to take a little while to get this done. But uh, when we do, I think uh, this is going to be one of the most popular channels on YouTube. Absolutely. And stay with these studcasts, and we'll keep you updated as to when things are happening. And you'll always be the first to know. All right. So part two of Super Studcast number 43, the Paul Orndorff tribute. It is now out at tnstud.com, also patreon.com slash studcast. Tell us about it, because you and Paul go go way back, and we lost him uh, within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, and, uh, and, you know, and I, and I kind of hate to do these tributes, but at the same time, I feel really good about being able to, to talk about uh, somebody like Paul who is a great, great uh, human being, uh, as well as a wrestler, obviously. And on this this one, uh, Dr. D, David Schultz, is going to be on with me. He's going to be talking about, he's going to be talking about Paul uh, and had a great relationship with Paul. My brother Robert's going to be on there. He's going to talk about, he's going to talk about uh, the, the probably one of the most famous fights in the history of the sport, maybe, uh, the uh, fight between Van Vader and Paul Orndorff, if you could call it a fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Rob's going to tell that story, and uh, and and our, our and the gentleman that's recording our show here uh, mm-hmm. was kind enough to step in. I asked him to because he knew so much about the uh, Paul Orndorff's first uh, WrestleMania in the main event in WrestleMania number one match, and I had uh, Lou Kippelman here who produces our show and records us. He uh, was kind enough to come on, and wow, what a job you did, Lou. Thank you so much, sir, for doing that. Uh, and I highly recommend this tribute. Wow, it's, it's really good, I think, and I think fans are going to really, really enjoy it. Lou has information about wrestling. It's godlike. He knew how many hairs were on the head of Paul Orndorff. I'm just... I'm yeah, just well, it, it is possible <laughs> that he could know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's our boy, Lou. All right, so can't wait for fans to hear that one. It's 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 really it's it's a it's a lot of information. If you're a, a we're a, a are a Paul Orndorff fan, then you're 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 don't want to miss it. Absolutely. All right, so big news today, Stud. What what's what's going on today? Well, I mean, we got a lot of news today, man. Uh, we're going to do something. Uh, well, I am, and I've been asked to do this for many many years. So people said, "Can you put together some type of reunion?" in Knoxville. 
And, uh, and I'm now pretty much uh, got the building. I've got a lot of things set. And uh, so I'm going to do a deal called Southeastern Memories. It's going to be a three-day celebration of Knoxville's wrestling history. It's going to take place in the historic Chilhowee Park Jacobs building, where we wrestled, uh, where the, the Wrights wrestled, uh, Whitey Caldwell, uh, the Kazanas. And it's, uh, it's going to be the convention. It's going to be a convention that uh, will take place in June of 2022, uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And it's going to cover all of the promotions of the city's history, from George Kazana, who was promoting wrestling in the old Lyric Theater in downtown Knoxville way back in the 30s, uh, all the way to uh, through Southeastern, through Continental, through USA, and even Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Jim Cornette, his company. So uh, it's going to be a real celebration for fans in all of the Southeast. And uh, that, I want to invite everybody to make your plans. That's going to be June of 2022. We'll be talking a lot about that in future studcasts, but I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a great event. Oh, absolutely a great event. I can't believe you're talking about this thing this far out. So, you know, the planning is going to be meticulous as we get closer to the event. And, and of course, more information will come in as we get closer as well. Wrestlers from all over the world. Gathering in Knoxville, plus fans from all over the world, there to welcome them. It's going to be the first annual event, a one of its kind ever, and it happens in the state of Tennessee, and that's going to be cool, really cool. All right, so Stud, where do we ride to today? Well, our training table is going to take us, man. We're going to focus on something very few wrestling companies back in the day and still to this very day uh, don't do concerning their wrestling shows. Uh, and they do not occasionally, uh, you know, add a little humor and fun to their shows. And I, I can't figure out why they don't do that. And in this stud cast, we're going to actually have an example of a television program that's going to have some humor and a great deal of fun in it. Uh, even though we're in a very serious business, uh, wrestling was a tough business to make happen. But uh, we're going to see a little bit of humor. We're going to get a few laughs in this one today, I think, Dave. And uh, we're going to break down the Knoxville card of July 15th, 1977. And uh, we'll talk about that TV I just mentioned, which is going to be really, really groundbreaking. Uh, giving listeners, uh, you know, the results of the card, uh, as we always do after we talk about the television and the, and the matches. And then uh, we're going to talk about the attendance. And then we've got a learning tree question that's another great one, man. Uh, and it, the gentleman asked a couple of studcasts ago, you told a story about your wrestling, someone that challenged the wrestlers in another territory. Did anything like that ever happen in Southeastern? Hmm. All right. So it sounds like another great ride, Mr. Pickles and I, we are raring to go. So are we starting off with a little bit of humor today as you spoke of for today's training, maybe? Uh, yeah, that, that gets, that's a pretty, 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 you're right on it, my man, you and your horse are, y'all are getting really together as a team, man. Thank yeah, you. we're going to talk about why I think it was important to make fans laugh sometimes. Uh, in this studcast, we're going to give fans, a, like I said, a great example of mixing humor and seriousness in wrestling, uh, you know, and a pretty, pretty tricky little deal to do. But I yeah. think they're going to see, get a feel for that in listening to this studcast. I think, uh, you know, uh, basically, I think a little laugh in any sport's a good thing. Uh, we, we all kind of take life a little too seriously sometimes. And especially if you're an owner of a company, you, you tend to take life too seriously sometimes. <laughs> it's hard to laugh when you own a company, man. And uh, so uh, especially to put fun into your company. So when I got in hockey, I used to fly in, as an example, I used to fly in the San Diego chicken from across the country to Cincinnati, and I'd bring him in sometimes twice in a year, and, uh, you know, just to, so the fans could enjoy a laugh during the game uh, wow. every once in a while. Needed yeah. to be, right? Uh, you know, uh, and uh, this guy was world-renowned, man, one of the best acts in sports entertainment. Mm -hmm. He did lots of different sports in lots of different countries. He wore that big old chicken outfit and he had that giant tail like a rooster on the behind him. And, uh, you know, so during these 15 minute breaks between periods and hockey, I would let him go out on the ice 
and uh, we would have little youth league teams come in, six and eight year olds that could barely <laughs> skate. And, uh, you know, and he would go out on the ice and play referee for him and uh, put on what was a marvelous show. Wow. It was absolutely amazing what he could do and how he could tear people up with a, had a great personality and, uh, and really a feel for humor, man. So, you know, uh, uh, they, these, these kids could hardly even skate, man, you know, uh, much less keep score a goal, you know? So, but the sport was so serious that I thought it would be good to have fans relax between periods and enjoy themselves. Because when these games were in progress, it's stressful sport. Hockey is really a stressful sport to watch. You know, if you're into a particular team, you can, wow, you can get, you can really get yourself uh, befuddled, man, with what's going on on the ice sometimes. So in these little four and five minute games that uh, the chicken used to do with these young kids, it was absolutely great. And almost all the fans enjoyed these little games, especially the ladies in the building. You know, I mean, they watched the kids and wow, it's a it's I think a lot of women came to the games and I don't know they were really into hockey, but they sure got into this when they saw the little kids. So so in the way he would do his show is he would get the kids to center ice and a face-off, and uh, just like a hockey game started, and he'd drop the puck in front of the two small kids that are that are in, you know going to do the face-off, and they all were wearing these bulky uniforms. They could hardly stand up in them, and they so some of them couldn't skate at all hardly. So usually when he dropped the puck, one of the kids would fall down just trying to swing the stick at the puck, and uh, <laughs> you know so. So and then uh, you know and and when that happened and I ever all the others start trying to move around sometimes four or five of them had fall down right <laughs> yeah, right right so yeah. it was just a real cute little deal and everybody would get a kick out of it but then he was so sharp with what his little routine was he'd go over and pick the one that fell down in the face off up but when he did he'd turn his body around so that his big old tail would knock down the other little guy behind him of course. So he'd take a bump, right? And now he got a big pop from the crowd. And then he he never realized he was so good at it, act like he never knew that what he had done with his tail. And then he would turn around to drop the puck and the little boy's laying down, the other guy's down. So he'd turn around to help him up and he'd knock the first one down. Sometimes he'd knock one of those that's on around the circle down. So he would use his little deal to, to get, to get the crowd really up and uh, having a great time. They, you know, if one went down, uh, then he would try to help him up. Another one would go down. Sometimes he'd help him up and two could go down. He just couldn't keep them all on their feet. So <laughs> finally he'd drop the puck and the action would start, what little action there was. But uh, they were all falling. When they dropped the puck and then, and then somebody hit it, then half of them would fall down. And then finally one of the little ones would come out of the little pack and he would pick up the puck and he'd start to go down the ice, but he's going at a snail's pace, man, toward the goal. But the people in the building enjoyed it so much, they'd be cheering for him. Hey, go, 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 little bitty boy. And, you know, they were all slow and the entire crowd, you know, got excited because this little guy is still on his feet and he still got the puck. And then sometimes he'd get down to the goal and he'd fall before he ever shot the puck. Uh, and then if by accident he scored, wow, I've seen as many as 10,000 people jump up on their feet to watch a little five-year-old kid score a goal. It was like, <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, so, you know, that it was all, it, it, it fit in with sports. It, it, we needed more of that stuff. And we used a lot of it in, in hockey. And the chicken always ended his show. And when he, he got ready to go home with the show, basically, and he would tackle two or three of those little ones, and then they would all pile on top of him, both <laughs> uh, teams. And, you know, there's a chicken uh, who was a great guy. His name was uh, Ted Giannis, uh, and we got to be really good friends, uh, the San Diego chicken and I. So I guess the whole point of what I'm saying here is that it's good uh, in almost anything th that we do as human beings, to have a little humor in it, man, you know. Uh, wrestling fans are no exception to that rule. I don't believe they are. 
You know, we tried to make them love us or hate us, depending on whether we were representing good or evil, you know. But in this TV today that we're going to be talking about, I was able to, as, as I call it, throw everybody a bone, you know. So in this show today, my San Diego chicken in today's show is going to be gorgeous George Jr. <laughs> That's that's cool. Hey, I'm wondering, did you did you have an opportunity? Did you ever use the chicken in in wrestling? No, no, only I didn't. in hockey. Only in hockey. Only in hockey. You know, and it, it's a little harder to deal with wrestling fans and then to know what they are going to accept. Hockey <laughs> right. fans, yeah. hockey fans, though they, uh, you know, they 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 love their game, but they they are they like the other things as well. We did all kinds of yeah. things. We used to have a. A big fat guy come on the ice between periods, and uh, and he would he would dance, and he would pull his shirt up so that yeah. his big belly bounced. Hey, and man. for about five weeks, he was a star. He was he was a big star in Cincinnati. And then one night, that city was like a Philadelphia in a way. They turned on him. All of a sudden, he did his same routine that had been getting over for weeks. And he died. They booed him off the ice. He actually actually had to get off the ice and leave. <laughs> so, Enough of that, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know. But uh, I never got to, I never got the chicken for wrestling. No. That's cool though, dude. You've you've really done some remarkable stuff. Met a lot of. I mean, of course, you your 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 time with Andre the Giant is legendary. So you you've uh, you've hung out with some crazy folks. I mean, it's like who don't you know? So. All right, so Stud, what's next? Well, let's let's talk about that card. July fifteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, Chilhai Park's Amphitheater. Uh, Mike Pappas, who had been there for about three weeks in a row, Greek wrestler, good friend of uh, John Kazana, who used to own the company before me. He wrestled against Australian Bill Dundee. Uh, Tony Charles was on that card against George McCrary, a good amateur wrestler, pro. Has a match with the guy that's coming back that's been gone for quite a while, who was a pretty good star there, Dick Steinborn. So Dick Steinborn's come back to test the pro. The next match was the Southeastern Tag Championship, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. And they were going to be defending their belts against Bob Armstrong and my brother Rob. The main event was for the Southeastern Championship and the $5,000 prize for the Battle Royal that, uh, you know, that had been going back and forth. Uh, between LaDuke and Stomper about who's going to keep that money, that whoever wins this Southeastern Championship match is going to also get the Battle Royal money. So the special stipulation was that Joe must win. If he does, in order for him to win the belt, though, he can only win it by using a bear hug on the Stomper. Wow. Stomper and and Gorgeous George, they were pretty cool about all these specials. You had to do something special. Right. You couldn't just beat him. You had to beat him with a certain move or in a certain time or whatever it was. So Yeah, but the stomper, I mean, that's a lot to bear hug right there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a huge man to wrap your arms around. Yes, yes. And, uh, I mean, and, and yeah. a guy that could probably take a whole lot of pressure. But gosh <laughs> knows that uh, Joe LaDuke was a, wow, he was a bear himself, man. Jeez. Oh, sure. Yeah, but that's a, that's a tough uh, call, even if you are Joe LaDuke. All right, so, but you're returning from that neck injury by Mr. Knoxville five weeks earlier. And if I remember correctly, Robert lost last week, July 8th, I think it was, the night before the TV that we're talking about next. Plus, a crazy finish where, and this is weird, a, a very large, you said a black fan from the, a very large guy from the crowd entered the ring when the referee was engaged on the other side and he put some kind of neck breaker hold on Robert. So uh, I got all that right, right? Yeah, actually, that's great, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Mr. Pickles, man, y'all are remembering the trail, I can tell you that. So, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. And uh, so that's where we're going to start on today's TV. So we're going to start the morning after Robert encountered this spectator that uh, nobody had ever seen before, who got up out of the crowd, went up into the ring, gave Robert a neckbreaker, an inverted neckbreaker at that, and uh, and then just scooted out of the ring. So uh, this was, uh, and this show, this TV show, I got to throw this in too, Dave, uh, 
This is the second week of the 1977 July rating period. So I want these shows in July to be very good. Yeah, so, I'm pretty sure that means that you got something something up your sleeve for for this this show for sure. Well, you never know, Dave. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I was though for this show back home in the WBIR TV control room up top. People couldn't see me up there, you know. But I was I was home again, and I'd miss doing these TV shows. That's for sure. I've been gone for five weeks, and uh, and now fans, uh, you know, nobody knew I was there. But uh, wow, it was nice to sit up there next to Bill Kincaid and kind of uh, watch what was going on, be a part of things. So let's open up the show. He ran down the card for the day. And then when the cameras backed away, when they have that close up of that big still shot on the set behind him, you know, there was this unknown fan uh, standing over Rob. He'd given him the neck breaker and he was standing over top of him. A good shot of his face and who he was, right? You know, and as the cameras backed away, uh, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. had their southeastern belts sitting on the desk in front of them. They're sitting next to Les, and they still got this big still shot behind them of this of this guy, right? And and Les asked him, uh, "Can either of the two of you tell us who that man is in the photo behind him?" Right. <laughs> so they both looked at each other, and then you know, and finally one of them said, "You know, we have no idea. You know, we've never seen him before. Last night, you know." And one of, one of them said, I think he obviously he's got a vendetta or he's got some reason to do that to poor old Robert Fuller. You know, <laughs> so they all they laughed about it and they said they they wished and, you know, they both said, wish we knew him a lot better, man. That neck breaker he applied was excellent. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and he finished off Robert Fuller. I mean, and uh, so at that point, they had backed up the video to where they showed the fan actually. Uh, coming up to the ring, getting in the ring. They showed what he did. And then they also showed Mr. Knoxville covering Rob after he left the ring. And I don't think uh, that he went, uh, I don't know whether he went back to his seat or if he left the building. I have a feeling he left the park, you know. But uh, anyway, hmm. Mr. Knoxville covered Rob. And the ref counted him out. And uh, they raised, the ref raised the Bible. Bob Orton and uh, Mr. Knoxville's hand and presented them their Southeastern belts again. And uh, so these guys watched all that. They they laughed through all of it. And, it, and they, then they had to, at the end, they, they thanked the unknown fan. They called him. we got to thank that unknown fan for his support. <laughs> and then, they, and then they, one of them added, they said, you know, I hope he appears again. You think he'll come back? No. So Les was at a loss for words. Because he'd never seen this type of deal before. You know, what's he going to ask him? They deny they know the guy. And, uh, you know, uh, so you know, he don't, he don't have any questions much for him. So they go to the ring because they're in the first match. And uh, obviously they did what they do, man, on every TV and pretty much most of their matches. They demolished a couple of young guys in just a few minutes. Uh, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, everybody knows who that is. Jumped off the top rope in one of them's throat. Norton Jr. had the other one in the backbreaker, and uh, then he just uh, dropped the back guy, the guy in the backbreaker, on top of the one laying on the mat. And uh, they didn't even cover him, man. They just put their feet on the chest, and referee counted both of them out. And so you know, these two guys were good. Wow, they were a tremendous team, man. Uh, Orton and Garvin and. Uh, a dominant team, man, uh, and it didn't make any difference really who they were wrestling. They were really good. So they went straight into Studio B for the first interview, and for the first time ever, there was no one at the set with Les when the interview started. But Mr. Knoxville Norton, they could see the set. You know, so it was a split screenshot. They could see that Les is sitting there by himself, and uh, you know, so they began to ask. Where, where's Robert Fuller and Bob Armstrong? Les, they're talking to Les rather than talking to the to the cameras or to the audience out there. They said, where, "Where's those guys, man? Where, where's our opponents, man? What, what's going on?" And uh, you know, so then they got to laughing about it. It got to be funny to them, and they, you know, and they 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 said to Les, "You think they're afraid to show up because of that big nasty fan that hurt Robert Fuller last <laughs> night?" <laughs> Are they afraid of that guy? You know, and, they, and then they, they laughed again. And we're joking about, you know, Fuller and Armstrong, they shouldn't be afraid. 
you know, after all the chances that, you know, what's the chances of that big man showing up again, right? So mm-hmm. they continued to laugh and they made fun of Robert and Bob. Les kept looking over his shoulder toward the dressing room, thinking, where, where the hell are they, right? But they never showed up. So Mr. Knoxville, Lord, and they just kept going. There was they had time left on the clock. So they used up the rest of the interview time. They were laughing and having a good old time and making fun of the scared team they're going to be facing the following Friday. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, so the next match was Joe LaDuke. And uh, obviously, Joe was getting over, man. The studio erupted when he entered, man. And he'd only been there six weeks. Pretty amazing at this point. But he was as hot as any baby face I'd ever seen there, man. And he insisted that he wanted to wrestle two men every time on TV. So uh, he went out to the ring, and he got his win over two men as quick, about as quick as Mr. Knoxville and Orton had done in the first match, actually. And Joe won, used the bear ugly on both of them to get the win. And then he came straight to the set afterward. And he had less watched his win the night before over Norville Austin in the loser leave Southeastern match. So again, Joe won with his bear hug. Norville Austin finished his second run in Southeastern, man. So the Duke stayed with Les during the commercial break. And he did his interview after about his upcoming second match with the Mongolian Stomper. And uh, this one, he was going to have a shot at the Southeastern title for his first time since he had come to Southeastern. And he reminded fans that their first match, which had been a couple of weeks earlier, was a very bloody one and that it had to be stopped after two referees got hurt, that the Mongolian, he said, he thought was one of the toughest men he'd ever been in the ring with. And uh, fans had no way of knowing it, but a series of matches between these two was about to begin. Some of the bloodiest events in the history of Knoxville wrestling is going to take place when these two guys wrestle. Wow. All right, listen, we would normally be taking our break right here every week, but you've kind of got us intrigued. And I want to hear who is on the personality profile uh, on this TV show. So, But I, I notice there's been no mention in this studcast about what happened last week in that crazy Bob Armstrong special stipulation match. You know the one. The one to see if Bob was going to get gorgeous George Jr. as the prize for the week and the results from that match where you said Bob so last week where you said that Bob if Bob did not lose in what was it 10 minutes or less yeah that means the stud this stud cast this week he was you were going to tell us about gorgeous George had to like go to work for Bob for seven days to be at Bob's bidding whatever cut the grass clean up vacuum i I don't know that that's kind of crazy yeah so so. yeah bob didn't bob didn't lose in that first 10 minutes you know and uh so uh yeah and uh you know we're headed to you you but you headed down the booker road you've got that stuff pretty good (laughs) man you you got a pretty good handle on what the heck was going on there so the personality profile in this tv was obviously safe for bob armstrong and uh that's why he and Rob didn't come out for the, even the opening interview. They were supposed to be on that interview that uh, Orton and Mr. Knoxville did by themselves. All right. So I was right. So, t- all right. So, so tell us what happened next on the personality profile. Okay. I'd be glad to, man. Uh, the profile was done live from Studio B in front of the studio audience where everybody had a great view. And Les opened it up with a quick reminder to fans about the stipulation from the night before in the championship match between Bob Armstrong and the Mongolian Stomper. And he reminded them that if the Stomper and his manager partner was two against one, two guys against one, both manager and Stomper against Bob, that if they couldn't beat Bob in 10 minutes, Bob would get the services of gorgeous George Jr. for an entire week. Right. So then Les showed and edited about a three-minute video of the first 10 minutes of that match. And it ended at the 10-minute mark with the announcer, Phil Rainey, who counting down the last 10 seconds. Stomper and GG were just desperately trying to pin Bob Armstrong before <laughs> that 10 minutes was up. Because GG didn't want to go spend a week under Bob Armstrong's thumb, obviously. Right, right. So at the end of the 10-second count, there was an explosion 
from that crowd, about 6,000 fans. You know, and it was obvious to me sitting upstairs that everyone and everyone else, I guess, that Bob making it through that first 10 minutes and not being beat and winning GG services, it might have been more important than him winning the championship. Wow. I mean, I didn't see the rest of the match, but uh, gosh, man, that uh, that that first 10 minutes was really extremely exciting. So you never know what to expect, man, in the match, especially when you got all these stipulations in there. All right. You're kind of toying with me right here. So where where's Bob? Where's gorgeous George? What's the deal? Okay, so, uh, boy, you're really in a hurry here, ain't you, Dave? Man, I believe I do have you, man. So, (laughs) so, you know. Les, Les was ready at this point. He showed the video and everything, and he was ready to bring on the man of the hour. And, you know, and he, he introduced him, say, okay, fans, it's time to bring in Bob Armstrong and his prize from last night. So Bob didn't come from the back part of Studio B, as was customary for guys that were in the personality profile. He came from the dressing room around behind, from behind the set and into the main studio. A gorgeous George was wearing his normal flowery jumpsuit and his matching flowery hat, but he was on his hands and knees with a dog collar around his neck and led by a leash in the hands of his master, Bob Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob's got his dog with him. <laughs> and you could have heard that crowd popping downtown Knoxville. <laughs> I kind of expected that, right? <laughs> it was like, oh boy, look at this. And then Bob was really into it too. He instead of just going straight to Les and Studio B, he took him all the way around the ring in the main studio, made him walk on his hands and knees. Well, of course. <laughs> Walked him all the way around the ring, man. And uh, I never heard that studio crowd so loud. They was everybody was laughing. They were having a ball, man. They were loving every second of it. Wow. So so when Bob finally gets over to Les on the set, Les still laughing. <laughs> Les is having a hard time not laughing. And so he orders. So Bob sits down and he orders his dog to sit near near him, sit next to him. He says, mm-hmm. sit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm up watching it. I'm like, oh, this is good. So Gigi, boy, he never looked so dejected. I know. Hey, oh, he was really, really good. He was upset by the whole deal, you know. So he sat there on his butt while Bob described some of the tasks he had in mind for him the, the next week, between now and the next Friday night. Good boy. Uh, Good boy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So in the studio crowd, they never stopped roaring. And the cameraman were great. They kept getting these close-ups of Gigi's face. Because Bob's going through all the things, the horrible <laughs> things he's going to have him do, cleaning toilets and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then Gigi couldn't take it at one point. And uh, he's, he, he interrupted Bob and Les, and he complained about it. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I won't do this anymore. And he even tried to get up. And when he did, Bob popped him on the top of the head, and he said, stay. <laughs> oh, Stay. <laughs> good boy. Yeah. Who's <laughs> a good boy? And I got another roar from the crowd. <laughs> Fans are loving this, man. And I could only imagine what was going on in all those homes across the Southeast watching that 75, 80 share, man, watching that TV. Uh, they had to be going crazy, too, man. This is too good to be true, they were probably thinking. So, and all the guys on the production crews, even upstairs, they kept running from the back to, to look at the Get the camera shot and laughing like crazy. Oh, look at George. Look at George. It was good. So so let's close the profile and by having the cameraman, you know, mm-hmm. and his equipment come out on the set. Because last week, if you remember, Bob requested that the TV station might give him a cameraman that could follow him around all week so that he could record all the things he was going to do with his dog. Mm. <laughs> so, so, and so this cameraman was, came out there, stood on the set. He had his own equipment and everything. And uh, so, uh, then he, then then Bob said, "Now next week, uh, please join us again because I'm on the profile again, and I'm going to bring my video of what yeah. I've got for set, what I've done to this this dog here for seven days." 
And uh, boy, another big explosion from the studio. So Bob got up and he shook the cameraman's hand and he yanked his dog chain. And, and two of them walked off the set, but the third one crawled on his hands and knees behind them. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, I knew it was going to be a good one. And listen, you, you've already got it set up for next week. Wait, folks waiting on the video to see what happened behind the scenes or wherever that was going to be at Bob's house or, or wherever, but all right. But it was even better than I thought. So one of the best personality profiles I've heard so far, Ron, that's cool. And by sheer coincidence, it's during rating period. Wow. So will next, will next week's follow up, it's also in the rating period, right? With a wink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of strange, ain't it, Dave? <laughs> Wonder who I, whose idea that was. I almost said you can bet your, but I decided not to. But anyway, you know, it it, it it took a few minutes, man. After all this, for the studio to settle down a little bit, man. And uh, some of them were laughing when the Magnol when the Mongolian Stomper came out for the next match because he didn't have a manager. There's no gorgeous George Jr. <laughs> All right. That's a good deal. I think this is a good spot for a break, especially after that fun personality profile. All right, listen, don't don't leave us. We'll be right back with the Mongolian Stompers match. That is coming up on this studcast. Stay with us. The stud lost a very good friend a couple of weeks ago. As he likes to do and does so well, he pays tribute to his 40-year friend, Paul Orndorff, at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Ron isn't the only one on this tribute. And great friends with the star that really was wonderful. Hall of Famer, Dr. D, David Schultz, tells some great memories and stories of his time with Paul. Robert Fuller adds his story about actually seeing the classic fight between Paul Orndorff and Van Vader in a WCW dressing room and describes the hours he and Paul spent together on his boat in Knoxville and in Pensacola. Then a special guest with a perspective from a fan's point of view, the man that records all Studcast and Super Studcast. Producer Lou Kippelman at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. It'll get you three fantastic hours of wrestling history for only $2.99. It's the best deal in wrestling. Hey, welcome back. David Summers on another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. And as we head back from the break, another reminder about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. You're going to love it if you haven't checked it out. If you haven't subscribed, Get over there and join the club. This is the place where Southeastern fans come together. You got to check it out. Subscribe at YouTube. Look for Southeastern Rewind. All right, Ron. So how did the Mongolian Stomper respond to having no manager for the next TV match? What was what was he like? A little nervous, maybe? Oh, i tell you, man. Uh, no, he was violent. I guess that's a good word. I guess that's a good descriptive word for exactly what he was, man. Uh, and you know, and all those people that were out there laughing and having such a good time, he stopped that with a mat within a matter of seconds, man. And uh, and he did exactly what Joe Laduke had done. He wanted to have two opponents, just like Laduke beat two. He wanted to beat two, and he did it exactly like Laduke did it. He certainly won. But he did it a whole lot more savagely than the Duke did, man. He started off letting them tag out as a team. But uh, then about halfway through the match, he just whipped the other guy over inside the ring. He started throwing them in, kicking them in the stomach and stomping them in the face. And it just it got worse and worse, man. Uh, I, I thought he, was, he seemed even more dangerous without Gorgeous George. I mean, it was like, wow, <laughs> he's taking it up a notch, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know. He wasn't going to be able to have an interview after the match because he didn't have a manager. Obviously, Bob Armstrong had his manager. So uh, the Stomper, but, you know, the Stomper really didn't need anybody to do his talking, you know, because he 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 did, he had everything he needed to say right there in that live match. <laughs> mm -hmm. He did his talking by stomping people's faces, man, and two of wrestling's most dangerous men. We're going to be meeting six nights later, Southeastern for the belt. And Stomper going to be without a manager for the first time since the very first day he arrived in Southeastern. He had no manager, but he didn't. He had it ever since. And he's going to be without his manager. 
And Joel Duke is going to be ready and prepared, man. Go out there and try to win that belt with his bear hug, man, following Friday night. So third interview featured the return of a very popular star, as I mentioned earlier, Dick Steinborn. And uh, he was going up against a guy who had come back uh, to challenge. You know, he Dick had been hurt pretty badly by the pro years earlier. And uh, he, I guess he was coming back to try to get even a little bit, you know, and see if he was better, any, any tougher than he, than, uh, the, than he was the first or few times they wrestled and the time he got hurt. So everybody could tell from their interviews, man, they both interviewed that there was a lot more at stake the following Friday night than just a match between those two, that there was really some bad feelings. So last match of the day, Bob Armstrong and Rock. And uh, they were scheduled, obviously, the following Friday to meet the Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville uh, and Bob Orton Jr. for the belts. And mm-hmm. Dick Steinborn set, went to the set with Les to commentate, which he had done several times when he was here earlier. And uh, Armstrong, he brought out his dog, Gigi, with him. <laughs> Gigi still on his hands and knees. Mm-hmm. And he tied him up to his corner. <laughs> oh. He took the leash and he, he tied him up in his corner there. Bad boy, stay. <laughs> Sit down, and, stay. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, and the studio crowd loved it. And especially when Rob kicked old Gigi in the butt when he was climbing up in the rain. <laughs> Gigi's having a bad day. <laughs> so the match pretty much was dominated by Rob and Bob uh, with the two young guys until the end of the match. Uh, Bob put the, uh, you know, Bob uh, jacked one of them's jaw and Rob put the fuller toe hold on the other one. And the ref was asking for the one to submit that Rob had in the hold. And all of a sudden, here comes Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and the, the huge black boy mm. that, uh, from the night before, the one that had cost Rob and Tony the match, man. And so all three of those guys just hit the ring from nowhere. And uh, obviously, the three of them took over pretty easily because Rob's down in that fuller toehold. You're on your back, and you, you're pretty helpless. You can't go anywhere. So, you know, Bob tried to fight off a couple of them, and, uh, boy, the studio went crazy, obviously, and uh, it was out of control in the ring. Dick Steinborn, he's sitting at the set, and so he he jumped up, and he went jumped up on the ring to get in the ring, but the pro grabbed him from behind, drug him off onto the floor, and they just started fighting out there on the floor. Uh-oh. So, boy, there's fights everywhere at this point. So, uh, Rob and Bob are, were in pretty big trouble, and, I was upstairs. I just went down, man. And I, I hit, I went right into the ring. I just shot up into the ring and, uh, wow, the war was on, man. Fans in the studio were on fire. So was Bob and Rob by this point. They, they, they were happy to see me, man. So then the three guys that came in on them all, all dumped out of the ring and the pro and they all disappeared. And we went to the set before Les could go to the commercial, you know, and I asked Les, uh, you know, I said, Les, because of what just happened here, can they change the card for Friday night? Uh, could, and I asked him, could they change the tag title match between Rob and, and Bob and, and the two champions to a six-man tag, add me to Bob and Rob's team, and add the black the black man to Bob and them's team, Orton's right. team and, and Mr. Knoxville. And then Bob jumped in uh, before Les could throw it to break, and he said, uh, "I also asked him if they could make that an elimination tag, because that'd give us a chance to beat all three of them." <laughs> so, so Les uh, asked us to stay with him for the break, and then uh, he picked up that phone that always sat on the desk, went upstairs to the control room, and uh, he started to find out if it was possible to change the match. So, two-minute break there, commercial break. And when the commercial break was over and the lights came on to, for the interview, uh, Les told us that Southeastern officials had agreed to the match, that the championship tag match has been changed to a six-man elimination, be me, Bob, and Rob against Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and they had found out the name of the guy that was in the ring a couple of times to help those guys, Sylvester Ritter. Ah. So... Uh-huh. So now that now we knew the whole card, it's instead of a a tag match for the championship, uh, me not on the card, Sylvester Ritter not on the card, 
uh, everybody's involved. And the elimination part of the match meant that as a man got defeated, he had to leave the ring. So you could end up with three guys against one potentially. So then the match had to continue until all three men on one of the teams was beaten. So studio was still on its feet, man, after all this that had gone on. And uh, when the three of us began to make the last interviews, uh, we did it by ourselves. I mean, because Orton and Garvin had had the first interview, so we took the last one. So Rob started, and he focused on the new guy uh, Orton and Garvin had discovered that it cost him and Tony Charles the belts the night before because they were really doing a good job. They were about to win the championship when this happened, when this uh, Sylvester Ritter showed up. So Rob, you know, asked, obviously, this Sylvester Ritter was a was pretty good at jumping in the ring when you wasn't expected and behind somebody's back. But how how's he going to do in a real match and in the whole entire match? So Bob said, that, you know, it had been a lot of fun today with his new dog. But suddenly he said, uh, now the fun games is all over. He said, now, you know, it's it's jaw, he's in jaw jacking the mood now, you know, <laughs> looking forward to laying some of his finest right hands on those three guys across the ring from him. And that he hoped that the backbiting Sylvester River was a good spitter. <laughs> because <laughs> I might just jack his jaw and then he can spit out his rotten teeth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then they left me a little bit of it. So, uh, you know, I took the last part and, uh, you know, and I said, I, I don't like any of them, but, but I owe a real ass kicking to one of them in particular, the one that jumped in my throat twice in the last nine months. Put me out of wrestling both times. First time, it cost me the world title. The last time, it cost me a shot at the world title. And Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, or whatever you want to call yourself, I spent five weeks dreaming about getting in the ring with you. And my dreams are going to turn into your nightmares starting Friday night. <laughs> I, I slammed my fist on the desk in front of Les, which really bothered Les, and I knew it. I slammed my fist on the desk and all three of us kind of huddled up and wrapped our hands together, looked at the camera and said, hey, you bums, you bums are in trouble Friday night. <laughs> That's a cool TV show, Ron. All right. So <laughs> I can hear, I can hear Jim, Jim Barnett saying it now. I can see nothing but money, money, money. <laughs> so, uh, so. Oh boy. Lindsay <laughs> got in the show today. What did happen six nights later? Well, thankfully, it was another rain free night. We were really on a good streak, man. We weren't getting these rains and having to move into that smaller building. Uh, Australian Bill Dundee defeated uh, Mike Pappas. And it was Mike Pappas's last Southeastern match. I don't think he came back anymore after that. Uh, Tony Charles gave the fans another tremendous display of English throws, man. Wow. And he pretty easily dispatched old George McCrary. George was an amateur, and he was certainly no match for Tony Charles with all that worldwide experience he had. Uh, third match was a great one. Two veterans of the ring gave fans everything they could. They tore that amphitheater up, man. The pro continued his winning ways, though, uh, and he got that uh, big win uh, against Dick Steinborn. And in the end of that match, the pro handled him just like he had all the other guys. And, you know, he put that sleeper on him, and, and then he ragdolled him, man, all over the ring, just like uh, he was no better than his former opponents. Pro was really becoming a, a force, man. So the elimination match, it was absolutely wild. And and so were the fans during it, man. Uh, uh, we eliminated all three of the opponents. We won without any of the three of us losing a single man. We beat Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and Sylvester Ritter uh, without any of us losing a fall. The amphitheater was on its feet almost the entire match. It was crazy. That place was full, and it was rocking. Uh, last match of the night was Joe LaDuke, Mongolian Stomper. Uh, obviously, he didn't have GG in the corner. Mm. And it ended up as their first encounter with the, with the referees, uh, just the same as their first match two weeks earlier. They stopped the match. There's no real winner. So nobody 
the belts didn't change hands, but it's still the five thousand dollars that's not that's it's not settled. So both men were bloody, just like they were two weeks before. And uh, the fans got another look at what was going to become one of the great rivalries in Southeastern history. Oh, no doubt. But you had to do really well at the game. But what was what was attendance like on after that TV, of course? Well, it was it was definitely over six thousand. I mean, you know, I couldn't get as accurate of figures as I was always getting in the Coliseum, but uh, it looked like to me, to Rob, to Bob, uh, to Les, uh, guys that had seen that building, and I mean that uh, outside the amphitheater uh, with crowds in it uh, many, many times. I thought it was one of the biggest crowds of the summer. Wow. Well, that's and that's saying a lot because you had kind of set a standard and. And six thousand was that mark. If you if you had been below that at some point, you probably would not have been too happy. But still, that's a that's a pretty big deal right there. All right, folks, I think it's time for taking a seat under the learning tree. And Stud, remind us about the question and who who asked it and set it up for us. Okay, uh, Bradley Sampson, gentleman named Bradley Sampson, asked. A couple of stud casts ago, you told a story about your wrestling someone from the crowd that challenged another territory's wrestler. Did anything like that ever happen in Southeastern? <laughs> That's a good question, Bradley, because mm-hmm. uh, when I told that story, uh, you'd have no idea that that was very uncommon not to have a bunch of guys uh, to stand up and say, hey, I'll, I'll go out there and take care of this. So, uh, you know. Uh, but the, the quick answer, did anything like that ever happen in Southeastern? Absolutely not. You know, and uh, and uh, nothing ever happened like that in Southeastern Knoxville nor Southeastern Pensacola. Mm. And it was probably a very good thing that it did because uh, uh, I had a different type of wrestler than what was they had on the far side of the state during that mm-hmm. time frame. Mm-hmm. You know, wrestlers in my territories would have been knocking each other down trying to get in line to go out there and, and whip somebody's ass and defend the business, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there would have been a fight in the dressing room to see who's going to get him. Yeah, juxtaposed to the one you, the story you told uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, it would have been a complete, uh, instead of hearing crickets in the dressing room, yeah, they would have been they would have been fighting each other to get out of the dressing room. That's yeah, awesome. they, they would have been pushing and shoving, and, uh, you know, and the uh, first one out the door gets him, yeah, there would have been a race, man, a foot race. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, no doubt. And, you know, to try to explain this to uh, to Bradley, uh, Mr. Sampson, I guess his last name, this, uh, I want to take today's show, this show that we just talked about today, and, uh, and, and, and run down a list of guys that would have been sitting in the dressing room had somebody come and done that to us on just this one car. And, I, and I'm going to start off at the bottom of the card and work my way to the top of the card. The first guy that would have been ready and, oh, my God, more than willing and, oh, horrible for anybody to encounter was Tony Charles. He was an old shooter from Wigan, England, man, where the shooters came from, where the sugar hole came from. Mm-hmm. You know? So there was Tony Charles in the dressing. There was George McCrary, who was one of the best amateur wrestlers in the country. His senior year in college. He was a very, very good wrestler. There was Dick Steinborn, second-generation wrestler, son of one of the old shooters and one of the strongest men in the world, Milo Steinborn. Uh, Steinborn, would have, Steinborn would have been up on his feet right away. There was in the other dressing room Ronnie Garvin, one of the most dangerous men in wrestling. And why do you think they called him hands of stone? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, what he's he he'd been over there going chopping at the bit. Oh heck yeah! There was Bob Orton Jr. in that dressing room, second generation wrestler and a shooter. I mean, he would have been ready to go. Yeah. There was Bob Armstrong sitting next to me, a Marine, a boxer, a karate expert. He's one of the toughest men in 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 the world. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there was my brother sitting there who was certainly able to challenge and go out and take care of any mark where to challenge anybody. There was me, Bradley, and uh, I guess you you paid attention to that episode you talked about, so it's pretty easy for me to have taken care of it. 
Also in the dressing room with me was Joe LaDuke. Now, can you imagine anyone badly (laughs) wanting to get in the ring with a man stronger than 10 men who love pain and blood? (laughs) (laughs) And then one more guy that would probably have been right there in the other dressing room was the Mongolian stomper. And what kind of human being would want to crawl through the ropes and take on somebody that looked like Archie Goldie? <laughs> wow. So, yeah. so that's 10, 10 men out of the 14 on the card that would have all been fighting each other to get to the ring to take care of somebody to challenge wrestlers. That's a huge difference from your territory to the territory that you were referring to a couple of weeks ago. That is incredible. And what a great stud cast. Ron, my man, you are on fire. All right. To become friends with Ron on Facebook. Do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. Go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Then simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter and Instagram, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. Super Studcast number 43 part two is now available. It's another wonderful tribute that Ron is becoming famous for. This time, it's about his great friend, Paul Orndorff. He's joined by half of, he is joined by, pardon me, my my fault. He is joined by Hall of Famer, Dr. D. David Schultz, his brother, Robert Fuller, and a real fan and historian of Paul, and the man who is recording this very show, Lou Kippelman, our producer. Ron, surely you got something to say about this, uh, another touching tribute. Oh, geez, man. Uh, it's really good. You know, David Schultz had some tremendous stories. Wow. My brother tells a, a, a classic story that everybody talks about. Van, Van Bader, Van Vader, who was a very uh, hard to get along with individual. Bob and Paul was very quiet and almost shy in some respects. And uh, Rob in this story tells he saw Paul. Paul Orndorff that he had never seen before, wow. you know. So, uh, and then Lou had a had a lot of great history uh, built around that uh, first WrestleMania and Paul and and uh, Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. I mean, so uh, mm-hmm. no, it's a it's a great tribute. Uh, I'm really proud of it, and I hope fans uh, will listen to it. Uh, Paul Orndorff was a tremendous person as well as a tremendous wrestler, and. Uh, and uh, people like that, uh, uh, well, we need more of them. Oh, no doubt. So you got to check it out. As we said, a Hall of Famer and just uh, a part of some uh, real historical moments in the sport that we all love. Get it now at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only two ninety nine, And definitely the, still the best old school DVDs out there. The Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition, five DVD pack, 67 matches, more than 12 hours of tremendous action. Many stars in these DVDs went on to become superstars. See for yourself why these two companies lit up the wrestling world. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only $39.99 with free shipping. And Brutus, it's one of the most talked about books on the planet. It is such a unique story that it could possibly happen in real life. Now, widely compared to one of the best thrillers and movies of all time, Jaws. Over 50 five-star reviews on Amazon. Read them for yourself at Amazon.com, Brutus Novel, and get it there or get the autograph copy at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store, and the stud will sign the book that may become a huge movie. And subscribe today for Ron's YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell, and the matches will soon begin as Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows are added each week. Don't miss the first full Southeastern TV show in its entirety from 1978. And it goes up this Friday, July 30th. Don't miss Mac 
the man who saved Southeastern Tribute and the never before heard Funk Brothers interview that is now with video from 27 years ago. You got to check it out. Saddle up now. YouTube.com Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell and begin your ride into old school history. Man, that's a lot. You got a lot going on, stud. So where do we ride next week? Well, another today's training, man. We're going to be out there to do what we try to do every week. We're going to try to educate fans, uh, taking those little deep dives into the sport and uh, find out how things were done and why things were done. We're also going to focus on the July 22nd, 1977 card. Uh, it's the Battle of the Behemoths, man. Stomper and Leduc, man. That war continues next week. There's a four-man elimination tag to see if Rob and Bob can win and get another shot at the title. And I'm wrestling that future junkyard dog. Sylvester Ritter is going to, when he leaves Knoxville, he's going to go to Mid-South Wrestling and become the junkyard dog. And uh, he's going to be one of the greatest wrestlers in history. So I'll be wrestling him next week. We'll talk about the TV, the results of that card, and the attendance. Learning tree question is going to be another great one, as, as it always is. And I thank you very much for the one today, Bradley. We really appreciate it. Uh, and I want to thank everybody out there for listening today and, and for signing up at YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Go on and get on there now. Take a look at this 1987 original show, Southeastern. Uh, wow. You don't see them. There are not very many of them around. So and I hope you enjoyed the show, everybody, today. Please tell your friends about us. Take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.